0: Okay. Little, uh, I hate this door. You gotta slam it and no, say, sorry, Carl. <laughs> sorry, Carl! <laughs> oh my god. Constant. <laughs> That's the Foley edition of the introduction <laughs> to soundstage. Oh my god. Hi. Hello. We're in the same room. We're in the same room. This is allowed? Is this allowed? So what are we listening to this week? So, this week we have Julia Azumi's His Chest Is Only Skeleton that Sarah Hughes is directing. We're so excited. It's an all star team in general. There's so much intimacy and language to this one. There's something about it that's so specific, it's so poetic, and full of words and feelings and associations between one line to another one scene with the next scene or with the scene that we heard before it's very Mm associative, in a way that's yeah if you think about the way that poetry moves and connects ideas themes images feelings that's how i really get inside this piece and then suddenly feel like i'm literally in like a living organism (laughs) made out of julia azumi's words it's just it's incredible (laughs) and it's um it's almost like the words create music and it's rhythmic and comes with a soundscape even without Van incredible soundscape work mm-hmm. and everything else that's in this piece there's like a layer that actually lives within the words themselves mm-hmm. and yet this one's also really like I mean I, I laugh out loud listening to certain parts of this partially because it's just so honest that just gets right to the heart of something so just very excited for listeners to be on this ride, but really just <laughs> like love the experience of moving through how the words flow and how they build up and accumulate and become something that like lives inside you is like nugget of strangeness that mm-hmm. Julia gave us to then go through our days with. It's just, I, I love this piece. <laughs> <Nugget of> strangeness. <laughs> I love the way you're associating this piece to music, to poetry, because I do think what we talk about when we talk about theater Very often, it does overly focus on what was the beginning, middle, and end. Like, did I like it or did I not like it? Did I understand it? Did I not understand it? I think a really interesting, maybe reflective question as people come to the end of this is just going to be where do you feel this peace in your body and what does it make you feel it's a really beautiful exercise of trying to map emotion and Mm -hmm. memory and experience in words when you just know the words are going to fail the lived experience anyway absolutely and it knows that you know and it's still chasing it and it's sort of unflinching in its in its knowledge of that and in what it's trying to grasp at constantly that just pierces you with its like clarity. Ultimately, I almost don't want to ruin for this audience who is to listen to it. You're so lucky. If Julia Izumi's words are indeed creating an organism, what would that organism be? First thought would have to be a whale. Hmm. <laughs> I've clearly seen Finding Nemo, and uh, you should clearly return to this incredible intro after you listen to this play, you'll get more out of it. Here we go.
1: His chest is only skeleton. And so she puts her hand in between his rib bones and asks him, does this hurt? No. Does this No. Does this? Yes. Sorry. I'm kidding. Do you miss the flesh that used to be here?
2: Only sometimes. I miss my pulse the most.
1: May I put my hand where your heart used to be?
2: Sure. Bum-bum.
1: Bum-bum. Bum-bum. Okay. You hated that.
2: No. It was sweet. You just can't be my pulse.
1: But I want to be your pulse. And your lungs. And your spleen. And your left pinky.
2: I still have my left pinky.
1: I can still want to be it.
2: You can be so many things better than my pulse. A nurse practitioner... An organ donor, the ocean, the weather.
1: I can't be the weather.
2: Maybe you can if you try.
1: I honestly might not have the constitution to be a pulse, to be that consistent and constant. I think all I could be is an ant.
2: You'd be a great aunt.
1: That's only if my brother's children have children. <laughs>
2: clever. I'd be scared for you if you were an ant. There are so many feet you could get crushed under.
1: But there are so many cracks to hide in. I think I'd live longer than the average ant, and I'd get to live life in the way I've always dreamed of.
2: Like being part of a passionate community of hard-working ants.
1: Oh, sure, but I was thinking more. I would forever have a goal to find something sweet. Wouldn't that be quite a lovely life, to forever know what I am looking for? Even if I got separated from my family or went far off the trail, I would keep following scents, stumbling upon each thing and asking, Are you sweet? Or are you not sweet? The ant that I am could travel the whole world this way, following sweetness, through mountains and gutters, across flat bicycle tires and open toes and maybe even into the more intimate spaces, like a sack of rice or a CD case, or between the entangled thighs of lovers. And maybe the ant that I am would climb its way into a womb and maybe search among the proteins and the organelles for something sweet, and maybe reemerge back into the world still searching. And the world will see a woman, but the woman is also the ant that I am, And everyone will tell the woman who is the aunt that I am that I am searching for love. But I am actually still searching for something sweet. And maybe one day, the person who is the aunt that I am will turn to someone and say, I would like a taste of your sweetness. Oh? Your sweetness. I can smell it from here. I would like a taste of it.
3: You mean, uh, taste like...
1: Oh, no, just a taste, which I suppose may feel like a kiss if your sweetness is in your lips. Is it?
3: Uh, it could be the grapes I just ate, uh, which may be lingering on my lips.
1: It's definitely not the grapes. The sweetness is your own.
3: The grapes were mine. I bought them.
1: No, the grapes belong to, or rather found belonging in the vine from which they grew. Your sweetness finds belonging in you but what part of you?
3: What is a common source of people's sweetness?
1: Sometimes it's a tender organ. Sometimes it's something hereditary, like a disease. Is there something that runs in your family?
3: Yes. Rage.
1: Everyone has rage?
3: Not the kind that runs in my family. Our rage is a very... dangerous kind.
1: I don't know if I would call that a disease...
3: But I think that it might be hereditary, and I think it haunts me. Much like a disease.
1: Have you inherited it?
3: Sometimes I'm scared that I have.
1: Well, I doubt that if you did inherit that rage, it would manifest in a sweetness. But perhaps the history of all the rage before you may have hurt your organ, and your tender organ is your sweetness. Then I suppose it would be much harder for me to get a taste depending on the organ.
3: What about yours? What is your sweetness?
1: I don't have any.
3: I find that hard to believe.
1: Why? We just met. You don't know what kind of person I am.
3: Well, you seem sweet.
1: You probably think that because of your own biases, but alas, I have no sweetness. It was sadly carved out of me long before I was even born. That's why I am forever looking for it.
3: What will happen when you find it?
1: Oh. I find it often, but it never fills me, so I have to search for more. But I don't think I will ever be full. The well that was carved was just too deep.
3: Where is the well?
1: In my spleen. It's very unruly. It likes to scream, and that upsets my stomach.
3: How does the well scream?
1: Very well. The well in my spleen is also the ancient well of Bancho, which screams because a woman drowned in it.
3: How did she drown?
1: This woman worked for a samurai who favored her among all the other servant girls, and so he made her responsible for protecting his ten heirloom plates. But one day, one plate goes missing. And in a rage, the samurai cuts off her left pinky. He tells her that if she doesn't find the tenth plate by sundown, there will be hell to pay. She counts the plates over and over and over, blood trickling from her hand until the plates are stained crimson. But every time, there are still only nine. At sundown, the samurai returns. He says he will spare her life if she agrees to be his lover. She refuses. And in a rage, again, the samurai takes her body and throws her down the well. And she screams in so much anguish that the well screams with her. It is said that after that night, the samurai was not able to get a single wink of sleep until the day he died. For every time he closed his eyes, all that would ring in his ear was the hollowed voice of the woman he killed, counting... Itchimai Samai Nanamai Kumai. Why did you stop? I couldn't remember if I should say Jumai or Tomai for ten plates. Jumai. It sounds like shumai. Do they have shumai here?
4: Why don't you try counting shumai from 1 to 10?
1: Mommy, why do I have to learn Japanese?
4: So you can talk to people. Don't you want to talk to the people at your school? Why
1: can't they all just learn Chinese?
4: They can't do that. But you learn Chinese. I moved to China. I learned Chinese. Now we've moved to Japan. You learn Japanese.
1: But Daddy said you didn't really learn Chinese until you married him.
4: Well, that's because he was my husband.
1: What if I ask all the people at school to be my husband? (laughs) You can't marry
4: more than one person.
1: Maybe you can if you try.
4: You won't be able to learn anything at school if you don't understand
1: Japanese. Maybe I don't need to learn anything else. I'm quite smart.
4: It might be easier for you at school if people didn't know you were from China. Why? Because sometimes people are mean to people from other places. Remember when you were mean to the boy at your school
1: who came from Kazakhstan? But Kazakhstan is such a funny name for a country. See? That wasn't being mean, was it?
4: Well, it wasn't nice.
1: If I can't say I'm from China, can I say I'm from Hungary? Because I heard that everything in Hungary is pink, and I would like everything in my life to be pink.
4: You can't say you're from Hungary. Why not? It's not very believable that we would come from Hungary.
1: I can't be from China, I can't be from Hungary, then where can I be from? Nowhere?
4: You are from me, and you are from your father. Even if he is gone, this will forever be true, no matter where you go, no matter what anyone says.
1: If you say so.
4: <sighs> okay then. Maybe sometimes we can be from Hungary. From a quaint little town just outside
1: of Budapest.
4: Yes, where everything turns pink.
1: No, everything there doesn't turn pink. It just is pink. Of course, of course. And what were we doing just outside of Budapest? Well, Daddy was an orange salesman, and you were a cherry farmer. You both fell in love with fruits and then each other. And I was born with quite a splash. Neither orange nor cherry. I was not even a grape. I was a humpback whale. But humpback whales are sadly endangered. So to protect your child, who is also a humpback whale, you dug a hole deep, deep into the ground and filled it with water. And you hid deep at the bottom of this new well you created. But humpback whale poachers are unfortunately clever, and they found our well. The orange salesman, who is my father, who is your husband, fought back, sacrificing himself so that you and I could escape. And we rode the current through rivers and glided across the streets until we reached the Adriatic Sea. And you turned to the humpback whale, who is your child, who is me, and with tears streaming down your face, you told me, Whatever happens, we will always come from each other. And you said to swim far, far away from the land. And that is what I, who is the humpback whale, who is your child, did. And I lived out the rest of my days swimming the ocean with memories of the cherry farmer and the orange salesman. And the languages we spoke together, fading far, far away. Until I become quite old. And in my final years, perhaps I look back upon my life and say...
5: Should I... Should I call for the doctor, or... maybe? Hold on. I'll, um, I'll grab Oh, crap. Oh, sorry. Maybe I really should get the Oh. My hand? Okay, here. Sorry. I... Okay. You just... Let me know whenever you want me to let go, Grandma. Hmm. Your hand is so soft. You know, people tell me my hands are soft all the time. Maybe I got my soft hands from you. I wonder how many things this hand has cleaned. How many clothes, dishes, How many grains of rice, how much of your hair, mom's hair, wow, you probably held up mom's head with this hand. Maybe there was a time when mom's head fit in this hand, or maybe not. Wow, I really don't know how big or small babies are. This hand slapped her once too, right? That's what mom said. She said she doesn't remember why, but I don't believe her. You gotta remember what caused the one time in your life your mother slaps you, right? Do you remember why? Was it out of rage? Or out of protection? Or both? Has this hand hit anyone else? Wow. Your pinky on this hand is so much shorter than the other. It almost looks like it was... Was it always like this? I mean, were you born like this, or was it somehow... There is so much history right here in this hand. And I know so little of it. And I guess in a way... That history is in my hands, too. Which maybe means I know so little of... me. Huh. I really wish that... the last time you held my hands, they had become hands that... had done so much more... Or made so many more things or helped more people or clean more or held your ha- hands more not that this is the last time I mean obviously you're gonna be fine you're gonna live forever and outlive us all and <sighs> Do you remember that, Grandma? You used to sing me the song when I would have trouble sleeping when i come visit. Could sing the song on a warm July night, and there you would be on some rocks in a field somewhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Those ones that make a kind of pentagon—that's Cepheus, and that string of them there, and that other string—that's Perseus, and that zigzag one is—we
6: know that one. That's Iopium.
1: Cassiopeia.
6: Our name is better.
1: Cassiopeia was locked up in the stars as punishment by Poseidon for being too beautiful.
6: That can't be true.
1: Well, it is a myth. Those stars there are part of Cassiopeia, but they are also the Black Tortoise of the North, Zhuanwu, Wu, one of the Four Guardians.
6: Do you think they get confused? Being multiple things?
1: They're probably used to it by now, don't you think?
6: I don't know if one can ever be used to being multitudes. By the way, we've been meaning to tell you, we're breaking up.
1: Oh, that's so sudden.
6: Sudden and quick. Lightning will strike us and break us up.
1: I didn't think lightning could break rocks.
6: Well, we're tough.
1: You are tough.
6: Thanks. But we're also rhyolitic tough. We rhyolitic tough rocks have low mechanical resistance, so we can break up when lightning strikes.
1: I'm so sorry.
6: Oh, this is an exciting thing. Lightning is the only way landscape changes naturally, other than erosion.
1: What about natural disasters?
6: Most of those don't actually happen naturally. But to be honest, we are a little nervous, too. To be scattered around and start anew.
1: I'm nervous for you, too. How will you be without me, and how will I be without you?
6: We're not a part of each other. We're just the rocks below you.
1: I was hoping we were also friends. Sure. Hmm... This news is shaking me more than expected. One even could say, I have been rocked.
6: Don't do that. Sorry. You get to start anew too. Isn't that exciting?
1: Can any of us truly ever start anew? You'll still have your same erosions. I'll still have my history. We can never truly be a blank slate.
6: We can't ever be slate. We're tough.
1: You know what I mean.
6: We think of starting anew as more of a change in circumstances. No one can start with no history. But to have history is a gift.
1: Sometimes it feels like a gift, and sometimes it feels like a burden. I had no choice in some of what I carry from before. Some of it is very heavy.
6: You don't feel too heavy.
1: Oh gosh, here I am complaining about the history I carry while you've been literally carrying me this whole time.
6: It's okay. We don't think of you as a burden. And you know, we are all made of more than our histories. Like what? You tell me. What else are you made of? I don't know. I bet you do. Try. Try saying what you're made of, and maybe it'll be true.
1: Well, let's see. I am made of. my breath. And I am made of... my voice? Hmm. And I am made of... these hands, outstretched in front of me, and everything they make, and everything they touch. I am made of those, too.
6: Don't forget to thank them.
1: Thank you. Oh, and you! I am made of you, too. Thank you.
6: You're welcome.
1: And I am made of that sound and that sound is exciting and I am made of that breeze and that breeze is comforting and I am made of that pollen and that pollen is prickly and I am made of that shadow and that shadow is lonely and soon I will be made of rain and the rain will be warm and the rain will trickle is trickling down my outstretched hands winding down and around my nine fingers and the rain that has made me falls into the dirt and the dirt nourishes the grass and the grass is green and someone walking on the grass is young and the youth jumps into the river and the river connects to the ocean and the ocean is deep and the sun shining on the ocean is bright and the skin that burns is soft, and the road walked on is only brick and brick. The song being sung is familiar and the voice singing is sweet and the sweetness is coming from his chest and his chest is only skeleton and so I put my hand between his rib bones and ask him does this hurt no does this no does this yes sorry I'm kidding Do you miss the flesh that used to be here?
2: Only sometimes I miss my pulse the most.
1: May I put my hand where your heart used to be? Sure, bump, 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 bump. Bum, bum, bum.
2: That's sweet, but you can't be my pulse.
1: Maybe I can if I try.
2: But I would never let you. Because then where would you be?
1: In your chest.
2: Then you wouldn't be you.
1: I would be me, just a me that is a part of you. Isn't that better?
2: No. I'd rather you be you next to me, and I'd rather be me next to you.
1: There must be something else you would rather be.
2: Maybe, but no. Not really.
1: What about a warm July night?
2: I can't be the weather. That's too much responsibility.
1: What about a humpback whale?
2: Then I'd be endangered.
1: What about my missing left pinky?
2: Oh, that's tempting.
1: I can be your pulse, and you can be my left pinky.
2: Why isn't it enough for you to be you next to me?
1: I would like to be what you miss, so you won't miss anymore.
2: It can be good to miss. It means I have history. And to have history is a gift.
1: But wouldn't it also be a gift to be each other's missed parts?
2: But do you miss your left pinky?
1: Well, I guess I can't really miss something I never had.
2: Then it's not a fair trade.
1: What if What if we make a bet? I will count your ribs, and if you have all 10 ribs, we'll just let us be. And if one is missing, you'll let me be your pulse.
2: There should be ten.
1: Then you have nothing to lose.
2: Mm. Okay. Okay. One. Two. Three.
1: Four. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Soundstage. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Season 2 of Soundstage is made possible with generous support from the Sherman Foundation's Catherine S. and Axel G. Rosine Fund and the National Endowment for the Arts. His Chest Is Only Skeleton was written by Julia Izumi, directed by Sarah Cameron Hughes, sound design by Fan Jen. Jess Barbagallo played Rox, Jorge Cordova played Someone, Midori Francis played Grandchild. Haruna Lee played she, Ronald Pete was he, and Sayori Tsukada was mother. This episode was edited by Dylan Caro, recorded at CDM Studios New York by Kathleen Conti. Our production manager was Karen Celine Morris, casting by Elaine Albaffer and Lisa Tenadio. The series line producer is Alison Koch. Our intro music is by Emily A. Sprott. Special thanks to Jenna Reddy. To learn more about Playwrights Horizons and how you can support more theatrical adventures like this podcast, visit us online at phnyc.org soundstage or text phnyc to 44321.